So this term we've been looking at, what we've been looking at, as you've been saying, we're looking a lot like Jesus. Um, and as I was reflecting on this question, or not question, but idea, beginning to look a lot like Jesus, I was like, who is Jesus? I was like, that's a good question. And so like, no, I, I do have some answers, don't worry. I, um, and so I wonder for you guys, what do you picture when you picture Jesus in prayer? When I thought of that, I didn't really know. I sort of know that Jesus is the comforter, that Jesus is my best friend and the guy who's got my back. But when I was preparing for this talk, I, I felt God put this passage on my heart. Um, and I, this is the passage I'm going to talk about. And I, I feel like in it, we, get, we learn a new aspect of Jesus, and one we don't talk about that much in church. And I think it will be, uh, I think what we're going to, at least I found myself really benefiting from reflecting on it. So I'm excited to look at it. And I think Graham will put it up on the screen. This is Mark 15, 16 to 32. It doesn't look like the Amplified Bible, which I was hoping for, but it is great. So I'll just read it for us, and we can just sort of think. I wonder how you'd feel if you were like a, a spectator on this scene that I'll read. Then the soldiers led him, that's Jesus, away to the courtyard inside the palace, that is the praetorium. And they called the entire detachment of the soldiers together. And they dressed him in a purple robe. And weaving together a crown of thorns, they placed it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they struck his head with a staff made of reeds and spat on him and kept blowing and kept bowing their knees in homage to him. (laughs) And when they finished making a sport of him, they took the purple robe off of him and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out of the city to crucify him. And they forced a a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, who was coming in from the field to carry his cross. And they led him to Golgotha, meaning the place of the skull. And they attempted to give him wine mingled with myrrh, but he would not take it. And they crucified him. And they divided his garments and distributed them amongst themselves, throwing lots for them to decide who should take what. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the accusation against him was written above the king of the Jews, and with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, saying, he counted among the transgressors and those who passed by, keeping reviling them and reproaching him abusively in their harsh and insolent language, wagging their heads and saying, ah, you would have destroyed the temple and built it in three days. Now, rescue yourselves. Come down from the cross. And so the chief priests, the scribes, made sport of him to one another, saying, he rescued others. Let him rescue himself. So, I wonder what this passage teaches us about looking a lot like Jesus. This is not the passage that we read and say, yeah, we want to emulate, because we don't initially want to do that. But 
Hmm. What struck me in the passage was the humiliation that Jesus received. In this moment, he's mocked by, by basically everyone, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees. He, he says it, his claim of being the king of the Jews is, um, is sort of said in mocking ways to him. He said his claim of, I'll build a temple, destroy it, is again misunderstood because he was talking about himself, but he wasn't really understood in that moment. So what does this mean for us? In this moment, Jesus was seen as the ultimate failure. In this moment, Jesus was seen as totally humiliated. But we know that this isn't the end of the picture, this moment where God incarnate is, is uh, humiliated on the cross. We know from Sunday school and coming to church that he's going to rise again. We know that this is a huge moment of God working in human history to save us. But I think it's important for us, as we think about the nature of Jesus, to dwell in this passage that I read. Because I think it tells us something about God. This is how God chose to work to save humans. He chose to work through humility and through not using power, but letting other people control him. And I think, uh, as I was reflecting on this passage, I thought of a bit that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. He says to the Corinthian church, which was quite like a proud church, he says to them, but God chose the foolish things in the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things in the world to shame the strong. And we see this, I think, in the passage, that God chose his son becoming weak and shameful to save us. God seems to be working in surprising ways. And we see this idea of God working in surprising ways throughout the whole Bible. We see it in the Abraham story. Abraham is an old man, and he's got an old wife and no children. And God tells him, go to Israel, go to a foreign land and father a new people. And he goes. But who would bet on an old man who doesn't have any children to father a new nation? But yeah, I learned of how great he was in Sunday school. Or we could look at David, the youngest son of a shepherd boy. David, again, wasn't even considered when uh, the prophet came to find the new king of Israel. But yet, he is one of the most famous kings. And even Israel itself, God used Israel as the the country to bring God's salvation history. But at the time of this story, they were just a small bit being overlooked by the Roman Empire. I wonder how we'd feel if we were the disciples watching Jesus being crucified, really afraid for our lives, embarrassed in the corner. We had these great hopes for Jesus, and yet look what happened. I wonder how we'd feel if we were Abraham, packing our bags and going off to this new land, following a God we don't fully understand and a plan we don't really get. I wonder how we'd feel if we were a young David, hearing these, these prophecies, but yet being like, I'm so young. You probably, I'd probably be feeling surprised and afraid and confused. And that's fair, because all of these people are in the middle of the story. 
Abraham doesn't know what's going to happen. David doesn't know this light, the way his life's going to go. The disciples don't know that Jesus is going to be raised again. A couple of days ago, I went to a class about how to preach. And maybe it's not showing that well. But one thing that I learned, one thing that they said, is they said, when you preach a sermon, don't like immediately go and ask loads of people for compliments. Because you're going to be really vulnerable and you're going to want everyone's affirmation. But that's not what preaching's about. Preaching is about saying something that you believe that God is saying to the people. And you have to just feel, I preach that for the Lord. When I heard that, I thought, Zoe, that's just true for life in general. I think it's so easy for us, as we sort of grow and are making our life choices, to think, what are our parents going to say? What are our friends going to say? What does it mean for us to make our life choices just for the Lord? Knowing that we're in the middle of the story. Knowing that we'll feel like Jesus in this moment. Humiliated, awkward, confused, not knowing how the story will end. But yet knowing that God is working. And so, I wonder what it means, reading this passage of the crucifixion, for us. What does it mean for us to read this passage and say, we want to look a lot like Jesus? When I was young in school, I knew what this passage meant for me. It meant you should be humble and meek, and you should be like that really friendly person. And so I was a really friendly person. And like, if anyone wanted me to do anything, I'd just do it, because isn't that what Jesus did? And so I lived on the very, I didn't live, my classroom was on the very top of school. Whenever anyone would want to get a cookie from the canteen, which was like a four-minute walk away, which is quite far, I would always go. And later on, I realized, no, that's not really what it means to look a lot like Jesus. That just means you want to have a lot of friends. Um, I think what it means... We'll come back to what it means at the end. Um, but what I will say is that when I left school, one of my friends, who I've kind of been praying for, became a Christian. All of a sudden, just went to this church, became a Christian, and wrote to me and said, Zoe, thank you for being such a light in school. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I don't know how I was a light. Was it the fact I got cookies? I don't know. We'll come back to that at the end. So I've got three ideas of what I think this passage means for us as we begin to look a lot like Jesus. My first is that we should remember that God works in strange ways through strange people sometimes. And I think this is important for us for two reasons. One, because we may be those strange people, the people that we don't think God would ever use because of one thing or another. And it's important for us to remember that God will use us. But secondly, it's important to remember because sometimes we'll be around people who we think are a bit strange, a bit insignificant. And we could think, we can do this much better than them. What are they doing? But yet, as we look at the way God works, we should remember, no, those people who we think are strange, no, God will use them too. I think the second way for me that this, this passage spoke to me about what it means to look a lot like Jesus so I remembered in my gap year, I would sing a song a lot that I really love that would say, I like to put my, I'm going to put my hand into the hand of the maker, trusting that he'll make something beautiful out of me. 
And it was easy in like a gap year in a Christian church to just sing that, being like, yeah, this is so easy. It's a little bit harder when you're like actually having to make choices. But I think the idea behind that song is saying, I know that God is working. And I'm going to trust that he will make something beautiful out of me. And I don't know what that's going to be. And I don't know what that's going to look like. But I'm going to keep following, not knowing the end of the story. This is how I'm going to be in the middle of the story. And the third thing that this passage taught me when I was thinking, what does it mean to look a lot like Jesus? It made me wonder, what do I place my significance in? I was reading a book by... Henry Nguyen, which was talking about spirituality as a spiral of downward mobility. It's kind of a weird concept. And he said that in spiritual life, too often we sort of hinder our spiritual growth by placing a lot of our significance in, in our jobs and in what people say about us and in our, in our worldly significance. And he's not saying those things are bad. But he says, as we begin to look like Jesus, as we strive to become Christians, become Christians, we're Christians, as we strive to look more like Christ, we're often hindered when we give such a large percentage of us to those things. So the final challenge I felt from this passage was, I want to be a person that's a change maker, but I want to do it in a way that what's most important to me is honoring a humble God. So, friends, I've reached sort of the conclusion of what I wanted to share. So I'll just sort of say a prayer for us, and we can each think, how does this crucifixion story challenge us to change our ways as we as a community strive to look more like Jesus? And Bethan will come up and lead us. Father God, I thank you that you sent your son to die for us. I thank you that you work in strange, surprising, and humble ways. I pray, Father, that you would help and encourage each one of us as we try and strive to become more like your son. I pray that you would give us courage to make strange choices and give us courage to keep on going in the middle of our story. And I pray that you'll give us hope that you are working through.